Welcome to the Moss Sustainable Fashion Podcast, a weekly podcast that features designers, scientists, fashion lecturers and influencers in the fashion industry doing things differently in order to make the industry and the world a better place. Join me each week to hear about the processes they've embarked upon to set up a sustainable and ethical brand, how to operate your business using sustainable supply chain strategies, find out why sustainability is so important in the fashion industry, understand how politics and fashion are intertwined and just gain a deeper appreciation for how our clothing has come to be. So come on, let's get frivolous. And ethical fashion isn't a word, it's just fashion. Like that would be amazing. I think I think reduction is the biggest thing. Just reduction of everything, like even food, because with, with overconsumption, with overproduction comes waste. Cut is extremely important. But yeah, also the longevity of the garment and making sure it's like, you know, can be worn to come. Hey guys and welcome to episode number two. It's so lovely that you could be here to join me for this episode where I will be speaking to Lois McGrew-Frazier whose label Lois Hazel you might have come across in the sustainability stratosphere. Lois is a radiant being with a contagious energy as you'll be able to pick up on in addition to her pure honesty to create quality and environmentally harmless products that spark the lust whilst also telling an interesting story. You know what I'm talking about, that extra warm fuzzy glow you get in addition to the new item buzz when you purchase something sustainable that hasn't harmed the planet. Maybe it's just me, but I love how if someone compliments something I wear, I can share a cool facet of how it's been produced like, oh this, it's by this awesome new label that reuses old dead stock fabric, oh, or, oh thanks, I love this too, it's actually been made from shopping wheelie baskets and has been redesigned in a new and innovative way into this coat. What is super positive about Lois Hazel is that Lois has been so mindful to start off with a clear ethos that has set the parameters within which the business operates. By starting her brand with this clear ideology, Lois was able to make decisions that aligned with with her ethos, from the fabrics she sources, where the garments are produced, who makes the garments, the printing company that her catalogues are printed on, to the toilet paper that they stock in the studio warehouse. It's much easier for brands to start off with this foundation as opposed to trying to incorporate strategies later on down the track. Although I'm not saying it can't be done, all the little steps count. Lois and I touch on the importance of setting a positive working climate with your employees and ensuring that they feel valued and supported and their personal lives matter due to what she herself experienced while work, whilst working with big international fashion houses. She also talks about how she began using Deadstock, having a transparent brand in order to inspire others. She breaks down the ways that she prices items and the importance of having a mix of wholesaling and e-commerce brand that has provided her with being able to choose really well the stores that she works with. Just like in the last episode, I thought I would also break down one facet of the fashion industry that you might find of interest, as this will probably provide you with a bit more of a background when we discuss how harmful using leather can be in the fashion industry, so that you have an additional perspective when we mention it in the interview. So leather is a tough, durable, and incredible material that has obviously been used for bags, belts, clothing, and shoes for hundreds of years, and has brought great economic value to those who produce and sell the product. It can last a lifetime, if not two, if it's made really well. However, there is an ugly side to the leather industry when it hasn't produced, been produced sustainably. 
One of the main issues with leather is that the actual leather tanneries use a process to prevent the leather from decomposing by using extremely toxic chemicals, many of which are known carcinogens. These include formaldehyde, cyanide, lead and chromium, and they're all used in different tanneries around the world. These dangerous toxins are released into waterways during manufacturing process. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention discovered the unnerving fact that those living near tanneries were much more likely to contract leukemia, sinus and lung cancers, and other serious illnesses. And further to the point, the leather going to the tannery and the dye houses received multiple applications of chemical preservatives, colorants, stiffeners, and modifiers to give it its give it its desired finish. These additives are harmful to the environment and human health and cause pollution during the manufacturing process. They also make the material impossible to biodegrade, meaning that these products could end up polluting the earth for thousands of years to come. Lastly, in many parts of the world, two million cats and dog skins are mislabeled and sold as leather to keep up with the export trade. Many companies are embracing traditional ways of life methods where leather is naturally harvested and produced sustainably with non-toxic products. Most of the animal is used and the rest is given back to the earth or environment. Purchasing vegan leather is not always the answer too. It depends largely on the company manufacturing it as large factories that produce faux leather products or plastics for that matter can be harmful to the environment and the animals in it as well as well as the chemicals that they use. Buying used leather is an even better way to recycle and not promote the poor leather practices that are, that are out there. There are also alternatives to animal leathers. These include cork, pineapple leaf waste with the brilliant name Pinatex, PVC, PU, recycled PET plastics. Fish is another non-vegan alternative to traditional cow or sheep hide. There definitely isn't a simple answer, but at the end of the day, it pays to know of the unsustainable factory farming, where the leather from the item you're purchasing has come from, and whether the item has been made well and to last. Now let's get on and hear from Lois. Welcome to the Moss Podcast. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on the show, Lois. You are an absolute star in terms of ethical and sustainable fashion, and mm. we're really, really grateful to hear your words of inspiration. Mm. It's very exciting. I'm excited. It's the first podcast I've done. Really? Mm. So we usually divide the podcast into a few segments. Um, mm. The first one just gives the listeners a bit of an insight into you, and um, it's called the Narcissist Grill, but it's a bit of a play on words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I liked it. Um, so what is one sustainable habit that you have that packs a bit of a punch? Oh, I read that and I was like, oh, that was a tough one. <sighs> do you mean like, I guess something that I do? Yeah, in your own life. Like. I mean, there's lots of little things. Yeah, I've watched Cowspiracy all... recently Ooh. and that really got me going. It so is. I think it's not packing everyone like transition more to vegan, but also like even little things like my dog food, like buying chicken instead of beef because beef has a higher high, um, environmental impact than chicken. Oh. It's like, I think, little changes. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, turning the lights off or, you know, when you don't have a backyard finding a bit of dirt. And, like, sometimes I'll bury bits of food in there because I don't have my compost yet. Or, good. Like, random That's a good thing, like but that. that is compost. Well, exactly. Compost literally just Except my husband everyone... yells at me sometimes because they're birds. And he's like, why are there birds there? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my little weird holes of, like, Just blaming on the dog. I'm... The dog put a debone there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, um, oh, I don't know. Yeah. 
I hope that. Yeah, it's cumulative effort though. Yeah. Like it's just those little things and once you're aware of one thing and then it like totally. starts to snowball because then you're like, oh, that becomes a habit and exactly. it's a habitual thing. Exactly, it becomes thing. normal. Yeah, like exactly. It's part of your daily exactly. routine and then it's like, I'll try this, I'll try totally. this. Like going to the supermarket and being aware like, yes, that cucumber is wrapped in plastic so I'm going to choose the Lebanese cucumber they're not wrapped in plastic. Yeah, or like, absolutely. You know, I was I always forget my keep cup, so now I just it's great here. I just bring mugs to the cafes and they're so fine awesome. with it. Just, you know, stuff like that. I do that, and I'm not even local. I'm like in my car, and yeah. I always have coffee all over yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. Like, but I didn't use, I didn't have a keep cup, exactly. so I just use this and the mug. I prefer to be messy than, I don't know, unenvironmentally. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. And I think sometimes it's funny, like when you do those weird things. Not that carrying a mug, but it's weird. People maybe question you more because they're like oh why is she doing that and then absolutely you can go into that kind of like well well this is why i do it yeah and then you've got a fun story for the day yeah exactly <laughs> that time i tried to help the world but i got put on my you know yeah well, white um, pants <laughs> i know i always try to wear white and then i'm like oh, so ambitious i know there's been a few times as like i've worn a sample out and then it's been into photo shoot but there'll be like a stain on it from me and i'm like oh but I'm like, oh, I don't know how it got on there. I'm sorry. Can we edit that out? Yeah, this is the only time I approve yeah. a Photoshop. <laughs> exactly. Blur that. Not the model, Not just the, the cup of stain. stain. Yeah, exactly. That's it. What is one sustainable fact that you learned that changed your psyche or inspired you to, you know, form a sustainable brand or well, just even to take action somehow? Yeah, I mean, when I studied, like, the process of making clothes made me more aware of ethical fashion. Yes. So that was a big shift mm. but recently again going back to cowspiracy that doco like changed me um i was vegetarian but like becoming um vegan and watching that made me be like you know i get really overwhelmed by like light switches left on or driving my car mm. or and my husband's always like can't take the weight of the world on your shoulder lois like you you know you recycling or like cleaning out you know the jam jars he's like there's no recycling in australia and i'm like don't say that but then i watch cowspiracy and it's like that's a really easy thing for me to change mm. what I eat. Yeah, so definitely. I know I say I'm flexi vegan because I still love cheese, but even like being more conscious of what I consume, I think such a better impact on the environment. I'm of the same opinion. It's just those, like either those little things, but it just makes a massive difference. It makes a end. huge, and I think it's also about like consuming less in terms of like everything, like even clothes, which is such a contradiction because I'm trying to sell people clothes. I know, but it's different though because you're also paving the way in a different mentality. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think that's like when price is good because if someone buys something from me, hopefully they're going to cherish it a bit more, not yeah. only because of the quality and the design, but also the fact that they've paid a premium price for it. So that, you know, I know that when I buy expensive things, I'm like, oh... I should really look after yeah, it. Yeah, I should really look after it. And when you wear it, you're like, oh, it has this weird, like, money is powerful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so. consumers are powerful too. Exactly. Terms. Although I hate that word. Like, they often say, like, Olivia Firth always says, like, don't call them consumers because, oh, you know, yeah. or don't say the people are consumers because it means, like, you're eating it quickly or, like, you're, like, you're getting it over and done with quickly, whereas That's it's true. not like that. that. You're meant to be, like, a pioneer or, like, a citizen of, like, yeah. fashion so that you are using it and enjoying it. Yeah. And, like, hoping it lasts for a while rather That's than true. just inhaling it yeah quickly. consuming it it's like what what's a good yeah i really liked like that spin on it because i had never even thought about no, it until I, recently yeah. i was like oh, i think everybody everybody's yeah 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 i know so do i and i was my husband is like when we first started dating he loved shopping he worked in like general pants and yeah. like he worked at h&m for a while so he would Excellent. always be surrounded by that blazing music slightly deaf pretty much yeah yeah 
he hates it now. <laughs> but because of that, you know, he, and even with, with me, he's so much more aware of him buying, what his buying habits were mm. and consuming less. And, but yeah, making him like realize if you buy like a $300 pair of jeans, they're going to last you a lot longer than like the $50 jeans from H&M. And he, you know, now he owns like more nudies. But he, yeah. But like you said, education is power. The more they're aware of it, the more they're totally. just constantly up in their face. Like, you know, whether it be by force or by exactly, <laughs> I know, yeah. gentle, gentle nudge push. in the right direction. Well, see, he's like cutting down on eating beef because awesome. and that like the other day I went out for a burger and he was like, "Can I get the beef burger?" And I was like, "You can do it. Like, I'm not going to judge you." And eventually, you got the chicken one, and I, I'm, it sucks because I'm just like, "Oh, the poor chickens." But if you're going to eat meat, chicken's probably the better one to yeah, eat exactly. because there's less impact on the environment. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it is, it is, I, mean, I guess I'm the same. I do it's take hard. everything on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what's happening? Yeah, I know. And then, like, I see, I hear so many of my colleagues that, like, talk about buying all this stuff and, like, AliExpress. I'm like, no, Josh, oh my no, gosh, Josh, yeah, no, Josh, no, I know, I know. Like, do you know what conditions know. those people are in? They're back those clothes. Well, this was like when Fee worked at H&M. Oh, he was like my little inside man like customers would come and one time he had a customer returning something I don't know or someone was complaining about a line not being so straight and he was like yeah. oh they must have been having the children must have been having a bad day in the factory or something <laughs> oh my gosh and I was like yes like say more stuff like that yeah but, and they absolutely. don't know how to react because they know mm-hmm. it's the case but they don't they don't want to, to have know. anything to do with it and I also yeah. think that's the whole thing with like yeah sweatshops like people just be like well out of sight out of mind and also with like animal cruelty and like climate change like out of sight out it's of so mind it's so easy not to yeah. know it's just to turn a blind eye exactly yeah which but I mean everything is a choice in life so yeah. the more you know the more choices you can make and mm. the more it just becomes at the forefront of your mind exactly if you start yeah it's yeah. hard at the beginning but the more you kind of get, like even another, well, back to the first question, like we used to just buy toilet paper, now we buy the big tubs of who gives a crap and oh, that I eliminates all plastic, Yeah, you know, there's no plastic in that. I love that. I've mm. even been going like all speed ahead in terms of like, like the chewable toothpaste and like the bamboo, like toothpaste. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and like, yeah, my fiance is like, uh, I know, you need like, to yeah, like yeah, yeah. change to this, oh, this is a bit extreme. Yes, it's so true. <laughs> like this, I've got the shampoo bar. And yeah. I'm slowly getting through my conditioners, and I'm so excited about getting the conditioner bar. Excellent. But then my husband again, and he's wonderful. Yeah. And we like to say, oh, they're terrible. But, you know, he goes and... Maybe it's a boy thing. Maybe it's it is a little a bit hard. It is a bit harder, but he loves the smells, and, like, I get really excited when he buys a nice soap. I'm like, buy soap, not the soap in the can. Excellent. But Excellent. I'm yes. slowly getting there. Eight steps. Eight yeah. steps. Yeah. And even to my parents, like, they always leave their lights on, and now Felix is like... They turn their lights off. Like this is not good. And yeah. mum's like wants to leave. Like she'll leave the aircon on for the dogs and stuff like that. You know. Oh, and I know. It's cute, but it's like also like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not judging you. I love you. But do you know where electricity yeah, comes exactly. from? <laughs> it's coal out of the ground. Yeah, I know, right? It's like oh. I know. I have that like same dilemma each time someone drives by and they're like says it's really good to have like an electric car and I'm like mm. yes but it's I know also, I was thinking, yeah. yeah I don't well, it's I don't like my know. dad has a defender which I love They're but it's like so a diesel cool. machine and I love driving and he used to always be like you should put Lois Hazel on the side and my friend's like I don't know if that's something you'd want Lois and I didn't again I'd never thought about no. it but it was like a diesel and I was like oh where does diesel come from and then I was like oh but I love driving so I think it's that balance mm. of and that's like that I need to work into my life yeah. not being able to do everything and being okay with that exactly. because if you try and do everything you just get overwhelmed and you actually then achieve nothing yeah exactly so, right. it is true 
Yeah, even like with takeout, sometimes we get takeout and it comes in plastic bags and I feel guilty no. and it's like, enjoy the takeout, enjoy yeah, this moment. Exactly. You don't do it every night. No. If you did it every night, then it would be concerning. Yeah, then you can develop a complex. But exactly. Up until then, just yeah. <laughs> or like when you forget a coffee mug or, get, you know, but you really want a coffee. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Like, and I think things. that's something like with Lois Hazel we try to do is like with the Honest Woman series, it's like, mm. it's okay. We're not perfect and we're going to be honest about that. Yeah. I'm just trying to not like shout at people to be like, the world's a terrible place. We're all terrible, you know? It's like, I love yeah, yeah. I love that it's like a judgment-free zone in that totally. regard. That you know, we do. It's really, really difficult to live really a difficult. waste-free existence. Like it's just yeah. been to all like all these little things, those decisions that you have to make. Exactly. And it's great that you are making those decisions. Yeah. But, you know, not everyone can. No, exactly. And that's <laughs> like it's, it's a, a place of privilege. One hundred percent. Being even like being vegan is such a privileged position mm. because people who live without the income like vegan food's hard to you know we i'm able to get the nutritions i need through other things that yeah. other people can't do so i mean it's no. not my place to judge them but it's like within my privilege i should do what i can and i think that's something that everyone should take on board yeah absolutely and it, yeah that's it's hard, like what leonardo dicaprio you know he did that um before the flood yeah thing but he flies a private jet everywhere and I didn't realise that because I was like, I love him so much. And again, Felix was like, did you know he like flies a private and he got busted for it. Uh-huh. And apparently he was like, all right, fine. I won't fly my jet to the next climate change meeting. And it's like, don't fly it. And like, what? you don't need to. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yes, cool. You've done this doco that's really insightful, but mm. you're very privileged and you have the money to, to do alternative means of transport or, you know. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fly cattle class, live with everybody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't want your private jet. Just take up two chairs, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Better offset all of those emissions. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I never understood that for a while, and then I was like, oh, that's what it is. I know. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Research. Yeah. (laughs) So true. I did all smile, nod, Mm -hmm. yep, got it. And then go and learn later. And the next time I'm like, yeah, I didn't know what you meant. (laughs) At least you learn. Yes. Okay, so where it all began. Mm -hmm. Did you always want to be a designer? What was the catalyst for you to decide to start a clothing label? No, I didn't want I think I always did want to be creative. Did you grow up in a creative household? No, real. Oh, yes and no. Like, my parents quirky yes. I like the, 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 we also had like colorful walls and you know cool. stuff like that so you grew up with color and yeah vibrancy yeah and, and I remember actually this was always fascinating when I was younger so mum would go out and I'd like spend the afternoon in her wardrobe making like outfits oh, and I, I never really awesome. thought much of it and I was like oh that's kind of interesting I was interested in clothing but I never thought I was such a tomboy Excellent. like my mum is still always reminds me she's like I can't believe like you are now a designer because like I would steal my brother's clothes be him I was like you're the best human in the world you know was he an older brother <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, in high school, my friend wanted to be the designer. So she did a course yeah. and was like, come and do it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, it'll be fun. And then, so I did the vet course for clothing production. This is Gold Shoes Girl. Yeah, Gold Shoes Girl. I like it. I like that. She's great. <laughs> She'll love it because she's always like, I'm the one who like invented you. That's <laughs> her claim. But so yeah, she did it and I enjoyed it. And then year 12 came and I made my formal dress and then oh it was terrible no it was like I mean at the time I loved it and I thought it was the best thing ever but now I look back and I'm like like it was like layered upcycle time 
Oh, a tear. Yeah, a tear. Gold. Gold teared dress. More gold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where it all started. The gold Seed relationship. Was it was. She's like, you're going to wear gold shoes. Oh, it was interesting. But so that started it. And then, yeah, applications came for uni. And I was like, what yeah. do I want to do? And I was like, oh, fashion. Cool. Um, so I just applied and was lucky enough to get into RMIT. That was a great course. And I'm in Brunswick. Really, yeah, well, no, yeah. I was in the city one. Oh, okay, cool. When the course was there. And it was it was really good. It was hard, but I, I just had such a great time. No. And learned so much. And then when I graduated, again, not really sure. It was that freaky, like, what am I going to do? And that's when I was lucky enough to get an internship in New York. And as I was saying, in like, doors. Yeah. yeah. It was just, I was just lucky. And I won this competition, which then sent me to Paris to study there for a month. And that got me to Europe and all these things just kept happening. And Snowballing. Doors opened. Yeah. And then it was that moment again when my, like, now husband was in Melbourne. Yeah. And we were like, well, do, do I stay? Do you get a job in London? And I, because mm. I originally was born in Scotland, so I have a British passport. Cool. So it was yes. easy for me to be there. Amazing. And I think then reality dawned. I was, like, looking for jobs and there's just nothing out there. That, and this, I was still, at, that, at this point in time, I was really kind of into sustainability and ethical fashion. So I was yeah, like exactly. looking at jobs in that field, but it was all like technical work and stuff. And, mm. and then when you do work for a big designer, you can't implement that ethos. Yeah, yeah, entirety. You yeah. have to kind of stick with how what they do. They exactly, and yeah. And there were some like really good brands, <laughs> but I think I wanted that creativity and it, like the process of making it's something that I love mm. and I just knew if I was sitting behind a laptop all day filling in Excel spreadsheets, I would. I didn't want that. I no. wanted to be a part of the creation process, be a part of the design, be a part of that story and I thought, you know, I'm just going to do it and go home Amazing. and start my own brand and, and yeah, it worked. Yeah, what a leap of faith though. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I take them a lot, <laughs> which is good and as I was saying before, like I do think it pays off going in blind and I'm not recommending that go with your gut I think yeah. and, and if something feels right go with it exactly obviously be realistic if something's going to cost you way above your budget say no but I think if you just kind of go with what you think is right it works out in the end yeah absolutely. yeah the right door opens and yeah was there um much sustainability taught at RMIT not when I was there okay. it was actually interesting because it was we were looking at trends like future trends and okay. it was sustainability was this buzzword and I think the reason I got into it was I was so unaware of, like, sweatshops. You hear yeah. about them, but you don't really know about them. No, definitely and not. I think even now the message is still lost, like so many totally. people that i It's I've almost spoken. like, it sounds so bad, that poverty scene from Africa. Mm. It's the same relationship. Like, people kind of talk, it's talked about, but it's almost like... De it's you desensitise de from yeah, all, yeah, yeah. all that. Well, I guess all the news channels and so many things bombarded in our face that people totally. can only process a certain amount. So exactly. when it's a huge, hectic dose of information, exactly. it's just like, well, it's much easier just to turn a blind eye. And also with, like, sweatshops, like, again, going back to the whole thing, of there's some people who do need cheap clothes because they can't afford expensive clothes. Like, one story is Felix had a job interview mm. and he needed to wear a suit and we didn't own a suit. 
And I was, like, looking online to find, like, an ethically made suit, but they were, like, $600, and we didn't have that. No. And Felix is like, Lo, I really think I just need to go to Kmart, and I just need to buy a suit from there because I need this job. Yeah, exactly. And so this job could give me... Yeah, yeah, the so income that you can to in order buy to the, buy sustainable yeah, products exactly. later on. Yeah, so we went stone. there, and I was like, oh, and he's like, don't make me feel bad Yeah, because I need... And it was a really good learning lesson. Mm. Less, yeah, learning lesson. Lesson yeah. learned. <laughs> Both. Both. Both Everything. <laughs> um, to... Yeah, just be like, again, do what you can within mm. your means. And um, So the sustainability really was something embedded in your like entire definitely. psyche from the get-go. Was, was yeah. that something that like, your parents preached No, that's what or? I was talking about, wasn't it? And I went off track. I, um, track. I mean, they, they were very like conscious, mm. but it wasn't like shoved down our throats. Like no. it wasn't, you know, like we. I was like, I grew up in Hong Kong and I think just being around other, not always just being in a pretty culture not yeah you know exposed to more things but for me it was during study of when I really got involved in the process of making clothes like doing the patterns and doing the production and I just found it fascinating when I would go somewhere wearing something that I'd made and people would be so excited about it and I was like but what you're wearing is made by someone too but it's that shift and I know there's a huge difference in production like Mm. in the factories you know, one person's literally spending the whole day doing... Just a pocket. A pocket. Yeah. And then the next, you know, so that there is a difference between artisanal, like, tailors, they make the whole garment, and it's... it's and I'm not discrediting them, but it's just that difference of appreciation between the people in the factories and the tailor kind of mentality. Yeah, And it absolutely. got to me, I was like, no, 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 like, if I went to China and I walked around wearing a clothes that I'd made in a factory, they're not going to care. They're going to be like, I do this every day. Yeah, and exactly. It's not that appreciation. It's, it's no. a lot of time it's oppression, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I was like, why don't... Why, why are we ignoring these people? Why are we... District. And this was, I wasn't even celebrating looking their into skills. Exactly. Yeah. They had this amazing skill set, but they can't even exactly. use it for freedom. Well, yeah, it's like their job. And they, and like, one thing is, I still do a lot of production. Well, not a lot. I do a bit of production still myself. Mm. And I get so exhausted. I hate it. Like, it's just so exhausting. So and that's one of the goals in Lois Hazel is to eventually outsource completely to local makers, but yes. that I'm not doing production, that okay. I'm just doing sampling and really perfecting that. Mm-hmm. Because Production is tiring, and you think these women are doing the same thing all day, every day. You get so bored. And then at least I can finish my day, go home, and there's dinner there. I can sit on my couch and watch TV and relax, but they can't. And I think the more I got involved in the making and just understanding. I wrote my thesis on sweatshops and looking at why they existed, which was really quite hard because there's two sides. But, yeah, it's just... I didn't agree with that and I was like if I'm going to do it I'm mm. not going to disrespect the people who make my clothes like I need to make sure that they're celebrated just as much as I'm celebrated because without them my brand doesn't exist and I like that you have that transparency that just leaks through to who you employ the seamstresses yeah. and you have like the local seamstresses all yeah. around as well so yeah. it's all done in houses yeah. so you, you have this like really Lovely. nice yeah. network of and it's like a family because I think that's a thing and I what I wanted to do with the transparency is, like, say, um, I, my hope was that people would click and see it and see the list of people and supplies involved in that one garment mm. to then understand the costing of it and maybe appreciate the price and appreciate the fact that clothing is not 
it doesn't just appear. No. And again, it's that so separation. Many steps so many steps. Even just from like the seed or the idea. Exactly. And, like, yeah. To come into fruition. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I would. Mm. I started paying more when I got to that stage when I I liked hearing the backstory behind 100%. the garment and, yeah. and all of the little elements that went into it and totally. even like the considerations of what kind of zip you're going to use. Yeah. Is it like a YKK or this a brand? Yeah. And, you know, just like every single like little tiny element that comes so together important. yeah it's beautiful and it's exciting because then someone exciting. goes oh what a nice dress you can be like well da, 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 and it's like even if they don't care it's something that you get excited about and exactly. like, I remember like today for instance except for my underwear like it's all made in Australia like these shoes are postal these are nobody and then this is me love and it I love that like yeah, I'm exactly. really proud of that and I'm, again I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone but it's like a little achievement within myself I know and it, it isn't a competition and sustainability yeah. a lot of people think that oh you know it's a solo effort that I'm I'm, I'm going to be sustainable and I can do it on my own exactly. but it's not yeah. it, it comes a cumulative together yeah. and sharing that message in a judgment totally. free zone totally and, <laughs> and I think that's the important thing like I know there's so many sustainable brands in Melbourne and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. Like I should be using better thread or I should be using better fabrics. And even with this winter collection, like a little achievement is that we this hemp is an organic cotton hemp from this beautiful company in China who he's like passionate about, you know, sustainability and hemp's a really sustainable it's fabric. Yeah, it really is. And like the jersey we use, this this isn't, this is a just um, normal jersey but mm-hmm. for the new winter rains it's an organic cotton knitted in melbourne so it's awesome. like slowly i'm able to implement these new things that i've learned more about yeah exactly and i need to be okay with taking it slow because i think sometimes i'm like oh no if someone can do it i should do it too but then i need to realize this is my business again within my means what can i do exactly. and, and then i can get excited about i'm using organic <laughs> cotton this season you know and it's like even if my customer's like whatever lois it doesn't mean anything to no, us i'm not like at all. yeah when you start hearing about the pesticide use i'm kind of like okay organic cotton, i know yeah exactly <laughs> well when i said when i bought this fabric and then i started reading i was like oh it's hard but i need to make it <laughs> i yes. bought it all yeah but you'd be able to wear it for years and years to come and appreciate exactly. it and yeah like, it's not just one facet of it as well. No. When I started thinking about it, I'm like, yes, maybe it wasn't made sustainably, but it has been made really, really well. And I will wear this for 10 years plus, 100%. maybe 20 years plus, yeah. and, I, and I have. Yeah. So, yes, it might not have been sustainable. Or maybe it was made with leather, which I don't like. It, it's not vegan, but it has yeah. been made so well, well to that's the like point. like post they use leather offcuts. Mm. And I'm like, brilliant. Awesome. Like, and leather's great. Like, it's that hard argument with, like, vegan leather it's really bad for the environment but yes. it's good for the animals and I'm like well, what's better is it better to use leather because it's better for, you know it's such a mind play you're like what am I gonna I do 100 percent the dyes as well that um yeah are used and the chemicals exposed like people yeah. are exposed to too but yes. then that's like nobody I was speaking to um John mm. I think he's the founder brilliant brilliant man and he was chatting about how a lot of people like why didn't use organic cotton and he's like we're already like making in Australia, yes. doing all these things, yeah. and we want to be competitive. You know, that's, is it is it more sustainable for us to then be able to employ all these people because we're using you know regular cotton? Mm. And it's like it's hard because obviously you want to be able to do anything, but he needs to be like my my customer is already paying a premium price for the denim we provide. Exactly. And it's all made in Australia. Like mm. their fa- one of their factories, their washing factory, is literally across the road from their shop, which is brilliant. And so good. And he's, he's been, you know, he's aware of, yeah, organic cotton's good, but it's, again, choosing your battle. Mm. And he's chosen his battle. And I think, yeah, they're like $200 or $295, which is expensive, but it's not like if you used organic no. cotton, it's going to triple the price. And 
they're not going to survive all those people are going to lose you know yeah exactly yeah I guess there is a luxury as well that it is grown in australia so you do have some element of control over yeah. the crop like or yeah. seeing how that crop is grown yeah you wouldn't need necessarily to have sprayed it with pesticides no. in some countries in order to keep the production going of the process as well yeah so yeah they're more of all of that <laughs> yes totally So you have one heck of a cool internship <laughs> resume. <laughs> Having worked with Marquesa in New York City, Iris Van Herpen, Babior, and Marianne Kemp in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, you also completed a semester in France, Paris American Academy. Um, and how did this shape the vision for your brand or what elements did you take away from these experiences? Oh, all different. They were all good. Like yeah. Marquesa was my first proper internship and it was like three months solid um, just working yes. and I but I loved it I was like making all the little flowers and I got to experiment mm. with all the flowers and they let me drape even though I remember one day it was like the night before the um bra uh, the couture show or something yeah <laughs> I was like helping the designer one of the assistant designers drape one of the dresses and I draped it wrong and cut it and I was like ah oh. <laughs> but she was fine she's like it's fine we'll just do it a little bit different so like that was a really That's fun cool. experience but it was three months which I think was good yeah of me being enough. like Time. enough time because if I'd worked anymore I'd have been exhausted and it was unpaid and but I think when you do internships um the environment makes such a big difference definitely and that was one thing at Iris Van Herpen that the environment was a very different experience mm. like I learned a lot there and I was thrown in the deep end where I was like helping out with patterns and sewing up samples and stuff yeah. but um the culture was not as positive okay. so I left early yeah. because yeah, yeah I was just like I don't it. agree with how your treating your interns Definitely. and it was making me quite a bit of person and that was one thing I said look if I ever start my business and I have interns I, originally I was like I'm never having interns I think it's terrible and then is this where I the launched, be honest huh? is, is this where the be honest slogan yes, came from probably actually okay. I didn't think of that maybe <laughs> but it, it was in that moment and I was like I never want to treat people the way I've been treated here mm. and so yeah like I just made sure that if I was to have people come in and help me, it's like Lois Hazel is second to yes. their life. And that was one thing that these companies, except for by and Marianne Kemp, mm. experience there was so positive. And I think that also yeah. like made a bit of Lois Hazel because they were so caring and they were so appreciative of the work That's that you so nice. did. And they knew you were there to learn. Mm. Whereas at Iris, unfortunately, it was almost like, we were honoured. We were lucky to be there. Like, yeah. yeah a lot of internship people. programs are like that, though. Yeah. Yeah. You're in there for – you're just a pawn in the, the pieces. 100%. Yeah. And I was just like, when I start my business, you know, I want to make sure everyone I work with knows that I appreciate them, that, that they their personal life comes first. Mm. And I think sometimes it bites me in the butt because I'm too, like, easygoing. But even with my factory, yeah, like – Yeah, we were talking about that with all the employees because you're like, who's this person? Who's this yeah, person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they awesome. keep leaving. But I'm like, I want to see them flourish and I want to see so them beautiful. do well. And even, like, other businesses, when they contact me, I'm like, I want to give them as much advice. And that's another thing about the honest thing. It's like – I'm lucky enough to do what I do. If someone else wants to do it, ask me questions. Like, I will help you as much as I can. That's so beautiful. And I think from these experiences, that's something I've got from it. It's like, if I always say, like, if Lois Hazel doesn't make it, like, mm. if one day comes where I'm like, I have to close down, like, it's not worth it, 
if I'm able then to use that experience to help other people do a better job than what I could do, like by far, that would be incredible yeah. kind of thing. Tick, you've ticked something off and, yeah. and they've had that. Yeah. Um, and, or, and touchstone in their lives, like a positive touchstone references that you've had. So Exactly. So. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> and is that great? <laughs> Just go silent and hear this weeping. <laughs> Right, get it together. <laughs> so among your many accolades uh-huh. you've or, that you've already acquired thus far, you've um, you were featured at BAMP's off-site runway series, Discovery Runway, presented by ID Magazine. Good at your research. I, I, I go deep. I love it. Thorough. <laughs> when I read it, I was like, oh, I like reading this. It's like reminding me of what I've done. It's nice. It's your LinkedIn. Welcome. Yeah, exactly. No. Please do my resume from now on. <laughs> well, there were quite a few articles about you. It was a really fascinating oh. read. Yeah. Very impressed. Um, yeah, you're the premium runway series presented by Who, What, Where, um, as well as being announced as a 2017 finalist for the National Designer Award presented mm. by David Jones, supported by Harper's Bazaar. How did you feel about receiving that recognition and how did that support affect your brand? It was good. So the disca- the offsite runway series was what I was talking about when we first came here. Was yeah. um, when I launched Lois Hazel, yeah, and I had exactly. this whole like, like envisioning this moment of like, it's just going to be it's that big, easy. It's yeah. Big. <laughs> and I, I I got a business loan and I spent it so badly. Like, and I think that's when I went in blind, and it's mm. benefited. But I look back and I'm like, oh, I could have spent that money so much better. But it's like you, you know what? You don't know. You don't know, no. and, and it's built the brand the way it has built the brand. Exactly. But like Vamp has been incredible. Like they have been so supportive of the brand and letting me be a part of like their main stage runways now. Amazing. I'm like that's just so. I remember like going and my husband was like, one day you'll be on there. And then the next year we were invited and I was like, and he had to go away and he was so bummed. He's oh, like, I can't. So this will be his honey, first year. One day. It's yeah, yeah, it's here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's excited because he'll come this year. Oh, and he's like, amazing. we get to sit front row. And I'm like, I never want to lose that excitement. Yeah. Even if you've done it a lot. But with it's the NDA, funny. that was like, I, I remember my friend who worked for Banff sent me a message going, applications are due today. And I was like, oh, I haven't done it, and I put together the quickest application thinking, yeah. just do it, whatever. It's like that, um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Okay. And I was like, cool, got to do it. And then I get the call, and they're like, you're in, and I was like, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and, like, obviously we didn't win, but going through the process and being with the other brands, and yes. the winner that year was Casey Devlin, and she's okay. so inspiring because she was the loveliest thing. Oh, and I've nice. actually loved following her brand and seeing how much she's grown since mm. winning the award and if that's like if that that was enough you know to be like Absolutely. wow and through being a part of that award I think it really pushed the brand into the next level that allowed me to go full-time quit my other job Excellent. and just take that risk and because all the people there like they weren't working another job that was their full-time job and I was like okay I gotta do that and no yeah so it was your side hustle for a little while it was yeah, yeah. passion project yeah 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 and I was like <laughs> no I got it and it's almost like when you take that risk it becomes stronger because it's like this is all I got if, if those dresses don't sell I'm not eating dinner yeah exactly which sometimes stunts creativity but then sometimes it just yeah pushes you it pushes you, you that extra edge 100 yeah oh yeah very <laughs> literally and <laughs> yeah 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 totally <laughs> um what was the process that you embarked upon um to actually set up the production for Lois Hazel and mm. what was being 
was being a sustainable brand that aimed to minimise waste and incorporate innovative ways to design ethical garments, um, something that you always wanted to implement from the very beginning? I think when I began, as I was saying before, I was really focused on labour. I was unaware of the environmental implications. So I think when I first started, I was like, the reason I chose to make things locally is so I could have that connection. Yeah, and work closer. But then obviously the more you learn and learning more about, like, silk and and cotton and all this sort of stuff. So that's, I think, when, you know, Mm. I started looking into, like, organic cottons and stuff. But the minimums were huge, and I was like, how am I going to do this? Like, how me, you know... Yeah, so Mm. that's when I started looking into dead stock. And, look, dead stock isn't the solution for the industry's problems. Like, if everyone used dead stock, it's, like, almost doesn't become dead stock because the factories are like, oh, we can overproduce because we know someone will buy it. And I think, to a degree, yes, they probably are doing that. And it's like, say, if a order came through for 100 metres, sometimes it's more cost-effective for them to keep the machines running and make 150 metres. So that 50 metres will become the dead, the dead stock. stock. Wow. Because, like, sometimes one of the suppliers I use, I'll go in and I'm like, show me your dead stocks. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's 900 metres available. And I'm like, how is that so dead, dead stock? stock? Yeah. That's an entire, like, yeah, roll. exactly. But it's like... <laughs> It's been made, mm. so I'm going to use that rather than getting something new made. And if I'm going to get something new made, I want to make sure that's organic or certified or traceable. So that's when I really was like, okay, cool. Look, I can't, I can't afford that right now, but I want to grow this brand. So dead stock right now is what I'm yeah, going to focus great. on using. And I got excited when I had like end of line ones because I was like, oh, this really is like <laughs> I need meters of fabric, and it's it's nice. Like once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, definitely. So like with this collection finally as I was saying I get to use the organic cottons and I've been able to meet the minimum so I think ethical the foundation for an ethical brand and it was funny because I it was, one thing I always made clear to myself was I don't want people to buy Lois Hazel because it's ethical or sustainable I want them to buy it because they like it it's beautiful and, and something they get excited exactly about. Mm-hmm. and I, and then when they find out about the story then it's just an extra thing it's an extra thing and they might not care they might be like whatever that doesn't mean anything to me but we've got a sustainable garment in their wardrobe and then maybe one day because like on a few of them we've got like the dead stock tag and you flick up and you can read what dead stock is i love i love those little pleasant surprises it's like finding a fiver in your pocket and you're like oh yes exactly now i love it even more yeah i know (laughs) go to the op shop hand a pocket 50 bucks like that was free and money doesn't happen that often (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but yeah and I kind of thought if you know one day if Lois Hazel becomes bigger the foundation of their that ethics and sustainable practices are a part of it and it's easier I think to start with those foundations rather than trying to implement them because like all these big brands like oh by 2020 we'll do this and I'm like do it now like yeah, why wait exactly so, but they can't because they've got so many processes they have to change so exactly no, yeah that's so nice that you could just start off with that and yeah. then every person that becomes part of your team is already aware with, with of that. it yeah yeah, yeah on and then that, as we grow page. like we can do more and I think I never want to stop striving to be better but obviously I have to be aware and not beat myself up when I can't like do everything like you know yeah, like being okay with using normal zips or being okay with the fact that my fusing isn't biodegradable or stuff like that. Mm. Like just I think I, I need to not, again, take the weight of the water on my shoulder but know that I'm, I'm doing what I can and as I grow it's just going to get better and better and it'll yeah. be so exciting one day when it's like, like for instance, yeah, buying that hemp, I was so excited. I was like, I finally did it. Like I finally was able to buy a fabric that's fully traceable right back to where it was grown. Mm. 
so that's like a tick and so it's like mm, we're just going to keep building on that foundation yeah just, absolutely yeah. yeah I guess it's it's not really that unsustainable again if, mm. if sometimes it's it's the effect that it has on the person whether it is the exposure to chemicals or whatnot but if yeah. it is a, a durable item yeah and it is a piece of like for example like furniture some items in that the furniture piece was not sustainably totally, made yeah however it's lasted 100 years so exactly. it might be the same thing like this uh, piece of clothing you can pass so down true. And, and it still is a durable material yeah so and i get excited like some customers i had a woman we had the big studio sale on the weekend and she came and she's like i love your pieces like i've I've got this one singlet I wear all the time and I was like, oh, what one is it? And she described it and I was like, oh my gosh, that was from my first collection like three years ago. And she's like, oh, I wear it all the time. And I, and I was just like, that is like the best compliment you can give me because it just shows that, you know. Yeah. And I always, and, and this is again why I want to update my website is perfect. just communicating with my customers like if there is a fault in the garment, don't throw it out, send it back, we'll fix it. Or because I know sometimes there is errors in production and we had a pair of pants come back and zip kept like unstitching at the back okay and that was something that I didn't realize until people started wearing it yeah and I was like just please send them back to me like we'll fix them because it's my responsibility and I think a lot of the time companies once the garment leaves their warehouse or leaves the store they they're kind done. of they're done they're like that's not my responsibility anymore yeah but I'm like no responsible for everything that I've produced and if you know if and that's like all my offcuts. I keep them because it's like that's my responsibility. I love that. Yeah, I love that they can just come back and 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 do that. that yeah. there's an opportunity for that, and it just shows your passion for totally. your, your pieces, but also mm. who your clientele is as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And it just encourages people not to throw things exactly. away. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Like, or yeah, I always tell people like mend it, find an alteration place. Yeah, I find know. Find a tailor if the actual brand isn't doing it at least like that's your responsibility yeah. but you're taking that off the person's shoulder yeah because it's not the and that's like so many so many different companies it's like mm. as soon as it leaves it, it's not their responsibility anymore and yeah like, but it is because you've made that yeah which is the best thing about the brand as well because you, what were you talking about when um all this information mm. that we're accumulating mm. now becomes overwhelming at the same time because your eyes are more open to yes. it but then also it, it does become like yeah. you feel the weight of the world totally. on your shoulders yeah. whereas you're taking that weight off your yeah your clientele yeah. because trying to help them yeah like, exactly can, then can, they're being yeah. ethical and sustainable totally by purchasing something beautiful which is yeah. amazing that they don't even have to like they're doing something good for the world yes and they don't even know they don't know yeah exactly they until they read it. a little tag on the inside and then <laughs> <laughs> and then they're fine but it, yeah i think i think responsibility is a huge thing Massive. And I, yeah, I like. Mm. Yeah, I think ed and education. I think education is so important, mm. and and I learn so much. Like I have so much to learn, and sometimes people will come in and be like, "Oh, you know, that's actually not that sustainable." And I'm like, "Whoa, I didn't know that." Okay, I'm so glad you told me. Yeah. Rather than being like, "Oh, whatever," you know, getting defensive, it's like taking on board and learning from your mistakes. And yep. It's hard sometimes, but open-mindedness. I think that's probably one of the best characteristics of a human being. Mm. Are that. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. My husband is a lot to thank. He's opened my mind up a lot, which is good. We've had a lot of arguments, but he's he's very good that's and amazing. aware of the world. Oh, that's so good that you found each other. I know. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> so you've got your studio here in Brunswick, and yeah. you've got a range of stores. It's, um, you wholesale too? Yes. Yeah, yeah around Australia yeah. and Tassie and yeah. New South Wales and a store in Texas. Yeah, yeah. which is cool. It's brilliant. Really like, cool. Unfortunately, they're not actually stocking clothing anymore. So I think they were testing it out 
with a few brands and they've decided not to do clothes anymore. But yeah, I was just but excited. But ship internationally as well. Definitely, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. What was the choice behind wholesaling and not opening your own store? Or is well, that something in the works? In, oh, ages down the track. Yeah. Like, when I first started, I did, didn't wholesale. But mm-hmm. obviously wholesale is amazing because it broadens your reach of consumers. Exactly. It, and it also gives you a little bit of stability in terms of, like, deposits from stores like that really helps and you can kind of get an idea of like well is this going to be a popular collection what styles are going to be popular what styles Mm. do I need to invest more units into um absolutely and wholesale's really grown the business and I've been lucky enough to work with um all good things so they're like an agency who focus on um Australian made all good things pretty much they want good product and they have I love what they do because they don't force stores they don't want they don't go in to be like, we need to make X amount of sales. It's like, if a store is hesitant, they're not going to shove it down their throat. Like, they're really yeah. considerate in what stores work well for Lois Hazel. And yeah. they're really conscious of what brands they represent. So, but like, I would love to open my store one day. But that, that's a whole other ball game because there's so many more overheads. And it wasn't until Kowtow opened their store and I learned how they, like, were so considerate about, like, what light bulbs they use, where their wood was sourced from to like make the floor. I know the ergonomic design everything. of every element. And I was like, okay, if like I'm going to do Australian it, wood, 100%. Top and yeah, and that's going to cost money. Yes. So it's like, when I do it, I want to do it right. So I think for now, building up on wholesale is awesome because I get to connect also with so many cool stores mm. and work with other small businesses and see them grow. And again, that whole like seeing other business succeed around me and also something that is awesome seeing a business succeed because my product is so awesome so That's I think incredible. like wholesale is wonderful it can be scary because yeah you know, it's a trust I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of um sourcing to or selling your products in stores that are like mine like like 100%. your brand yeah. because sometimes um a lot of people who like for example wholesale to maybe David Jones or whatnot yeah. they are so afraid of their stock losing its value totally. and then they have no control of that again yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's well I've made this multi-seasonal or um pit range and then yeah. all of a sudden it's lost its value yeah and I've put in all this like products or steps in place in order for it to hold its value yeah like the fabrics that i've sourced and exactly. every single step of the way to get to it yeah. fruition and then all of a sudden it's gone and i didn't i couldn't control that yeah yeah totally so i, I do get the scary part but i think yeah what you said is exactly it you mm. need to be able to be able to outsource to places or yeah. sell to, to companies that know your brand and, and know get what yeah the consumers want like want, the totally. ones that actually do shop at that store and I think again like I'm not I'm not focused on just sustainable stores like again I like the idea of being in stores where consumers aren't aware of that because it's almost like once you get into those consumers they might start being like give me other brands that are like this you know and then yeah, hopefully then definitely. that store will start being like oh, okay cool we need to start buying more ethical brands and Love one it. day the whole world's run by brands and ethical fashion isn't a word it's just fashion like that would be amazing if like ethical and sustainable it fashion just, just the norm. Yeah. Absolutely. Why did you think it was a really important decision to give your customers full transparency of the sourcing and the production and the craftsmanship? Because you know, that, that's quite daunting as well mm. in itself. Mm. Well, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, people are going to copy you. But I'm like, again, it's like both for consumers and for other businesses because it's if, great. Yeah, they can go on my website and check out my supplies. And I'm happy for them to take it. I'm happy for them to email me and ask me questions and me to give them, you know, 
contacts and stuff. Mm. But again, going back to that point of like trying to break down what is involved in the garment was to try and just help that communication of where things are made and more consciously, like, you know, even, you know, got to go to a fabric supplier for the fabric. The fabric supplier has to go to a factory or another company to get the fabric. That company has to go somewhere else to get the, the hand process. Nothing comes easy. Nothing's easy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's about shining a light and trying. And there's so much more I can do. Like, I would love one day to be able to go right back down to, like, where the garment, where the seed was grown and have that information there and have photos of the people who picked it. Mm-hmm. But obviously that requires a lot more work and... And most of your time, time is spent on yeah, creating exactly. things. But it, it's like just really breaking down the process so that people are aware of, of what what's involved in the garment and also to link them back to that. I remember one day I was getting my hair done and she was lovely and I think hopefully I changed her mindset on it. But she was like asking what I did. But she was like she thought clothes were made by a machine with no people involved like she literally thought there was like a machine out there that made t-shirts yeah, my face just dropped <laughs> yeah and I was just like no I was like people she's like really so like all those t-shirts are made by people I'm like yes like yes every bit of item of clothing is made by someone yes a machine's involved but someone controls that machine and and that was wow. just mind-blowing and I was like okay like that that education and we did one email um, blog post where we just went to our factory and took photos of the factory and it was like no one had seen that and we got a few people replying going this is amazing and and I need to be like I'm so used to just walking to a factory or seeing a machine but mm. n- you know not many people are no. and it's like just letting them see it and it's not it's not like images of like children starving at a sewing machine but no, it's just absolutely. the simplest thing that a sewing machine there is, is that disconnect and it goes 100%. back down to like throwing things away rather than mending it because there's a disconnect to the people that actually mm. were involved in the initial process exactly and also like when you throw your rubbish out it goes somewhere we don't are See not it. responsible for that again it's mm. taking that lack of responsibility of you know if, if if our bins weren't picked up and we were left with all the rubbish we produce i reckon we'd produce so much less because we'd be is like it? and it would take a long time people would hate it and that's like the plastic bag thing and mm. people started having to take responsibility to bring their own bags yeah and, and they are probably no exactly <laughs> well i think it's just like that responsibility that well if you're going to buy this bit of clothing what what you know what is involved yeah and it's like it's I mean look sewing isn't a hard thing once you get it it's like riding a bike it's pretty easy (laughs) not easy I'm not trying to disrespect you know like it's not I know I find it really hard to sew oh really really? (laughs) (laughs) I can mend things well but a sewing machine it has a mind of its own it does have a mind of you're right that's very true but I think like because it's like a, a I don't know like it's People it's, don't it's see it's a skill set that you need to be taught. Like, yeah. like driving, like you need yeah. to certain steps. Yeah. yeah. And I think people sometimes don't think of it as like a because it's something that so many people can do, like mm. driving a car, they don't really think of it as like a an amazing skill. But it's like it's a talent. Yeah, but itself. it is a skill sure. because it's like like I look at jeans sometimes and I'm like, I couldn't make them. <laughs> you know, or even like sometimes a simple t shirt the way it's finished, I'm like incredible that someone can just work on that machine like and I always think it'd be really cool to do like a you know in you know where people could actually walk into a factory somewhere in Melbourne to just see 3d virtual virtual or even just like a factory tour of Melbourne where they go to different factories to like see that's clothing that's how it's made and I don't know like taking people to landfills or even like oh absolutely just so that's, weird. that's one of my next Instagram story ventures just like looking at the process of where it actually yeah. goes yeah I know it would it'd be, it'd be scary really <laughs> it'd be scary but yeah. 
yeah, it's intense. But yeah. it is, it is that. Like, I find it so fascinating, just, like, one piece of thread and then one piece of yeah. Where did that thread come from? Like, being grown from the yeah. seed oh, into a thread and then working with them together it's to make, incredible. Like, a body of material yeah. and then going and then I think because it's so normal, people don't appreciate it. And it's, like, that's like chicken. Like, it just appears there. But yes. I reckon so many people wouldn't be able to kill a chicken. But because it just comes cut pretty in a little pre you know in a little package and you just buy it go beep cook done you don't have to actually go kill a chicken pull its feather off slice up you know it's 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 a very clean process definitely and that's like clothing like you don't it's just those old skills that were passed down to us the sewing and you know even my mum's generation which isn't very far away like she was born in the 60s she was she was saying you know when I grew up I got I taught how to um you know Defeather a chicken, how wow, to yeah. how to cut a, a rabbit, yeah. like, because that's what we had, what to, do. had to do. Like exactly. there was no other choice. Like for Christmas, we had a goose, and I was like, "That's gross." Cause yeah, I don't eat that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I can appreciate that those were skills that were passed down to you, yeah. and taught to you, and so should sewing. Sewing should be a skill. It is. Yeah, taught down yeah, to yeah. Totally. A lot of the things that we throw out are just mendable. Totally, <laughs> and, I, and I think, and also because things are so readily available these days, even like it's iPhones, cheap. like the fact that they produce a new one every single year and, yeah. like, they get thrown out every single year. Yeah. And I think technology is the number one polluter. I think it was... No, oil. I can't remember. It, yeah, oil. Yeah. yeah. It, but, like... Because... And the ore they use as well is from rainforests where the gorillas are from as well. Oh, so gosh. they're saying that the zoos to recycle your iPhones because then they can, like, recycle them and then give wow. back rather than destroying a rainforest totally. where the gorillas heavily rely upon it for the habitat so it's just that after effect like everything's a domino effect like that yeah. one choice that you make totally. has a consequence on so many things around so many you. things yeah when mm. I, and going back to like sewing and stuff when I was writing my thesis yeah my dad because obviously I was writing it like really negatively I was like they suck they're bad he's like Lois when you write a thesis you need to have both sides you can't just go in and look what do you mean just an for... argument. This is my argument. Yeah, exactly. And so he's like, I need you to like look at the other side of sweatshops and why they exist. And so I did, and I found some really confronting things. Like people, you know, the people who work there, they were like, we need you to buy these clothes because if you don't, we don't have a job. And mm. he's like, isn't that worse? And I was like, oh, this is really hard because I see where you're coming from, but I don't agree with it. And and sometimes I feel guilty that I get things made in Australia because I'm like. How is that helping the people in Bangladesh, in mm. Myanmar? It, and I was like, I'd love to go over there, but again, with me, I want to make things locally so that I can be in control, in control and I can have a relationship with people who make my clothes. I don't want to, it to go somewhere without any control because, yeah, exactly. unfortunately, there's trust issues with people who might take advantage of your generosity. And and he's like, you know, you... But it's like companies like H&M where I think it's like... 4% of the garment cost goes to the maker. Mm. And it was like if they increased the, like, 10%, something really small. I actually have that statistic. Yeah. I brought it up recently. It was really fascinating. It was, so who gets the money from your typical $10 T-shirt? Yeah. $5 goes to the retail clothing shop. $2.25 goes to the label or the brand. $1.75 goes to materials and production costs. $0.70 cents goes to taxes and distribution. $0.27 cents goes to the cotton farmer and... $0.03 goes to the worker wages. And you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. And like with me, it's like, let's say a quarter. Well, so how we cost our garments is, so for this top, I think it costs $17.50. 
at the factory to make plus GST. Okay. And then the fabric, and then everything else, so like the labels, the thread. So I put all those costs into my little Excel spreadsheet, and that's my cost price. Yep. And then I have to do a markup so that when my wholesalers buy it, I make enough to cover the costs exactly and make profit to put back into the business to cover operating costs and then the wholesaler requires to double that so they can then make profit so mm-hmm. then my retail cost is say you know say it was a ten dollar to all those costs was ten dollars and it's twenty and then it becomes what the other t-shirt kind exactly. of thing but it's like that seventeen dollars fifty is like one of the main components of how I price my garments it's not like this is what I want my garment to be, so I'm only going to pay this much. Like, it's such an integral part to how my garments are priced is the make cost. And it, it to be honest, it's normally the most expensive part of the garment. Mm. That and the fabrics that I use. Everything else is a lot less. Well, it, it depends how much you charge for your own labor, really. So that's where I'm really bad. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I'm my, right now, it's like... <laughs> whether or not, like, you price your time as well. Yeah. That, that's where I'll might be missing because you're a small business too yeah, totally so and i know and, if someone came in they'd be like lois this is so wrong but i'm like i want to keep it affordable so like i know when i when i do production myself i don't i don't pay myself which is really bad but it's important but it is funny when like i hear things like that because i'm like wow the the you know the make cost the labor is like my biggest factor so to hear that it's like the tiniest part of that garment i'm just like like why? Because without that individual, why? Why are they the one person who gets screwed over? Mm-hmm. Like, even before, and I'm not saying the person who grows the cotton, but like, what, why have they put more value on the cotton grower? Why have they? Why does the retailer get more? Because at the end of the day, the retailer would not be there without the person who made the clothing. No. So I, I just, I don't, I can't physically like understand it in my brain. And but it goes back down to political government government change though, because mm. they purposely put a cap on the amount they are able to earn um, yeah. because they also want the investment or injections of cash from the massive corporations yeah. so that in, in order to boost their GDP but yeah. what, what does that GDP even mean like it's the amount they produce yeah. which is a problem in itself yeah it's almost like cut in half like you know like produce less and in that producing less you can hopefully pay I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, it's so simple. And it's like, no, it's not simple, though. It's a lot harder. But no, but it is simple, though. Yeah. Like, I think, well, that's just a, a common default of people, though. We, we do tend to mm. harp on and make and make things larger than what they are. Yeah, what they and, need and, to be. Yeah, exactly. And, got, and cutting a few stages of the production process of a massive corporation. Yes, they do have a few of them, but those changes can be implemented now. Yeah, like exactly. Like what you said, you don't have what, to wait till 2050. Yeah, exactly. And what, what I was saying is interesting is, again, is it a point of my privilege that I'm able to debate the cost of labour and all this sort of stuff? But talking to someone who, you know, is like lower-class Australian who can't afford, like, how do they view it? That's not their mm. point of view. It's just, it's hard because my dad, he's such a, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the question and I'm like, my. <laughs> Stop making me Stop think. Making I think, me think, I think this yeah. way. I've already reached yeah, yeah, yeah. this conclusion from the research. Stop making me question it. It's challenging. So. It's good to have people like that. It's in your really, world. really, really good. What's the process that you embark upon when you design oh, yeah. an item? Is it the fabric that comes first, mm-hmm. or the design, or do you have something in mind already? Or? It's different every time, but majority of the time it's the fabric. Okay. So, That's one cool. of the supplies I love is wool fabrics, and they are the dead stock okay. supplier. Um, that I work with a lot of the time and I'll go there and I'll, 
I have to see the fabric. I can't design without fabric because no. I get really like, oh, but what's it going to be made out of? And yeah, it's, how's it's, it going to flow? Yeah, how's it going to sit? Exactly. Yeah. Like one time, that striped fabric from spring summer, um, from Tide, I um, I walked around Hong Kong because I found it in Hong Kong. Um, this guy who sold Japanese dead stock. Awesome. And I remember I just walked around for the week because they're just holding it. Like being like, what am I going to do with it? Do I want it? Do I want it? And I think that I love that connection with textiles. I've always loved textiles. And Marianne Kemp in Amsterdam was a weaver. Mm. And I'd love to be able to weave my own fabric one day. But that's another another thing. <laughs> another side venture. Another side venture. Yeah. <laughs> but like now I'm starting to get into like all organics and traceables. You know, I love going to those suppliers because it's super exciting and their Absolutely. choice they have is amazing. Which is sometimes dangerous because they have quite high minimums of what you have to order and it's like... I can't afford that yet, yeah, but it's, it's, and you probably notice each collection has like a name, like Rise is the new one coming out, Tide is what we just did, and mm-hmm. so I'll kind of come up with the fabric, and I like to play around a concept, so something that kind of brings the whole collection together, so my first one was called Frayed, because I just loved the idea of bringing the unwanted of fraying clothing mm. and making it something beautiful. Beautiful. It's very trendy. It is very trendy, exactly. <laughs> like all these raw edges on denim and stuff. Yeah, yeah we both got frayed pants on right now. <laughs> and then Tide was I just started playing around with like mm. ties and, and it's really funny to see how this collection is now because when it first began there was like all these extreme ties and stuff and I think yeah, it's nice you go I love, crazy. I the little collots then... with the ties at the top. Yeah. And then they have like the darts but the ties was Oh yeah, like the Yeah. We did the little yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but you have them? Yeah. Oh, oh cool. No, I thrashed them. Oh, I'm so glad. I didn't know that. That makes me happy. <laughs> oh, I have quite a few pieces. I have oh. striped little blue shorts as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. I wanted to get the shirt as well. I like, I like a matching ensemble. I love. There's so much matching in the next collection. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I love, like, full. Yes, me too. A full suit. Oh, and the so frame good. as well. I love when it's a really, really beautiful fabric and then, like, the collar, for example, is left yes, undone. Totally. And it is There's like little undone details. versus done. Yeah. And then that, like... Complements each yes, other. it looks so great. Yeah. And I think that's, like, one thing I want to do is with those details is create simple garments. Well, not mm-hmm. simple garments, but garments that can be adapted to multiple people's wardrobes throughout different seasons, throughout different stages of life. Like seeing a six-year-old and a 23-year-old wear the same garment is really inspiring because it's like, I don't want to focus on what's trendy, but rather what I'm excited about. And obviously it's funny, subconsciously I'm probably influenced by trend because like I release a collection, I'm like, wow, everyone else is doing mustard. That's funny. I thought I was unique. But so you obviously are subconsciously like aware of what's trendy, but I don't know. I think when designing fabric is hugely important, cut is extremely important, but yeah, also the longevity of the garment and making sure it's like, you know, can be worn futures to come yeah absolutely yeah and I do love that um some, some of them do, do don't have that like tightly fitted aspect so you, a, a number of people can totally. wear them yeah and that's so cool that like you know because we're never the same shape or size for our no. whole entire lives like no. I know I'm definitely not for me even two years ago yeah, like, yeah. so I like that I can keep that one piece of item and it can be worn 100% and that was really interesting with the wrap dresses that's the first wrap I've ever done and I was really conscious of it because we had some customers come in and they were like, this is like the perfect wrap dress. It's like made for my body. And then we'd have someone else coming in and they'd be like, oh, it's gaping and it's ill-fitting. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's not perfect. But it's, it's that letting go of like I can't please everyone and, no. and everybody shapes different. 
and I'm excited when some pieces like fit someone so perfectly and I'm like wow how the heck did I make that happen and then other times someone comes on and it's not right but being okay with that exactly yeah it's also the choice whether they purchase it or not and that's the and I'd rather the information knowing your body and knowing what yeah. works for you and knowing where it should be yeah tied or not yeah and so I think the idea with tied was cool how you can wear it how you like and everything so I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's super versatile. We were talking about how you can put like the turtleneck underneath. Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, there's so like cool. one dress I I don't know why, but from Mirror, and it's the navy long dress, and I live in that thing. And I think now it's like I've worn it so many times it's time to get see through. But I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Just keep it's fixing part, it. Part of the details. Yeah, intentional. Totally. What do you believe will bring the huge systemic change needed in the fashion industry? Is does it lie in the consumers, the governments, the big corporations' hands? We were talking about responsibility before, but yeah. where do you think that responsibility lies? I think responsibility lies with everybody. Mm. Um, I don't think a lot of people just place responsibility on the consumer, which I think is unfair because yes. at the end of the day, it's like if you're offering a product, like that should have been your process, your thought process initially yeah, before it even yeah, came in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think reduction is the biggest thing just reduction of everything like even food because with with over consumption with overproduction comes waste because if you've got too much of something it's either gonna with food it'll go off and you have to throw it out but with clothing it'll go out of fashion and I think it's really funny in here like I've got four racks and that's all that I have apart from obviously what's in stores mm. I get overwhelmed by that and then I'm like thinking to H&M and to Zara and I'm like you've got like warehouses around the world filled with stuff mm. and I'm like that didn't ever need to be produced and the there's place. so many amazing brands that are doing like made to order like Kalori mm. and um ABCH have a made to order you know and there's mandatory he does made to order like so many brands are doing made to order and I take exactly. my hats off because that's a hard slog to do but it's like that just slowing down and not producing as much and and kind of going against the trend of like one time I, when I was trying to find a wholesale agency I went to one and they were like huge and I was excited that I got a meeting yeah but they were pretty much like if you want us to represent you your collections need to be bigger because we need to offer more to the, the retailers and I was like uh, no it's <laughs> not working this isn't going to work yeah. for me so I was happy when all good things were like, like we, you know we're working differently awesome. we want and even with this winter collection, like, it's really big for me and I think I got a bit excited. So my summer collection's a lot smaller. But, yeah, I just think, like, changing... Well, you need more in winter, though, like, in order to make some action. Yeah, totally. Need, yeah. Especially in Melbourne go. winter, you need to layer up. Yeah. You do. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what you're going to get. But, yeah, I just think, like, the responsibility needs to be on everyone and, and in terms of, like, people like H&M and Zara and the big fashion houses, like, they need to be responsible for the product that they put out in the world and mm -hmm. and, like not just let as soon as it walk out the door be like cool that's done we'll produce more like exactly yeah right. and just not i think people we, we're spoiled we are spoiled especially in the western world mm. we're so spoiled with choice with technology which is awesome that has been proven to be so beneficial in so many ways yeah. like medicine and other things and yeah. but then also it comes with the downfall of being able to produce too much 100 so, yeah. i was reading I a really blog like about like seasonal vegetables and stuff and I don't even know like what vegetables season I know you know and you go to Coles and I can buy every type Everything. of vegetable I want and I was talking to my husband about it and I was like gosh if we like wanted to really get picky like we should be aware of what vegetables we eat mm. because some vegetables have been blown in from like China yeah and it's like that's got a carbon footprint but if we just buy locally we need to be aware that we can't always buy exactly. like avocados and I know some things in Australia are seasonal but 
just like capsicum. Like what season are they growing I in? Know. You know, I don't know. And I think that too. Thank you so much for tuning into our second podcast. I hope you were able to derive some laughs, facts, new perspectives, and of course, a deeper appreciation for the process of how clothes are created. If you want to hear more from us, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Critical feedback is always welcome. And be sure to tell your friends not just about the podcast or our online magazine, but just spread the word about how powerful purchasing sustainability actually is. We will be back next weekend with our third episode with Jodie Casaretti, women's wear designer at Basic. But if you can't wait for that to drop, be sure to visit us at www.mossmagazine.com.au or on Instagram at mossmagazineofficial for other sustainable fashion fun. Oh, and we've also included any brands mentioned in the podcast in the footnotes too. Have a lovely weekend.